You're listening to TIP. You could think of speed reading as kind of like rollerblading through a museum. Like, yes, you'll get through it faster, but you won't enjoy the art. In this week's episode, I talk with Alex Wachowski, also known as Alex in Books, all about exactly that, books. We talk about why and how to quit reading books, how you can find more time to read, how to read any book in one week, why speed reading is bad, how to find great books to read, and much, much more. Alex is a successful entrepreneur, podcast host, and author. This podcast show is all about real estate investing, so you might be wondering why this entire episode is all about reading books. It's because if you do the things we talk about in this episode, it will make you a better real estate investor. We talk about all the different specific real estate investing strategies a lot on the show. You can easily go back and find the episodes that are about the strategies you want to learn about or implement. So I wanted to talk about something that isn't often talked about that can also have a big impact on your investing success. I really enjoyed the episode. It's one of my favorites to date. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Let's dive right in. You're listening to Real Estate Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Real Estate 101 podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I welcome in Alex Wachowski. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Robert. Excited to be here. You are not a real estate investor. And since this show is all about real estate investing, you were a bit confused as to why I asked you to come on the show. And it's because here at TIP, we were essentially founded on reading and studying successful people. So I wanted to have you on today to talk about reading, how to read, just all kinds of books and a bunch of stuff related to that. That I think will help make people listening better real estate investors. Before we get into the main part of our conversation covering all of that, tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and how you got to where you are today. So my name is Alex Wachowski, but most people know me as Alex and Books. And that's kind of what I've been doing for the past like four and a half years, which is just reading books, recommending books, uh, sharing book reviews, and uh, reading tips all across uh, social media. And I've gained a pretty large following from just doing just that. Things close to like 350,000 across Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, And I'm also the host of the Reader Journey podcast, where I just interview uh, amazing authors, talk about their books. And basically, the whole mission behind Alex and Books is just to inspire people to read more books and uh, teach them how to find uh, great books and become lifelong readers. Where did your passion for books and reading come from? Uh, So I have to credit uh, one of my college professors. And he was my management professor. And up until that time, I didn't really enjoy reading books because I had a couple of bad experiences, you know, middle school, high school, where you're kind of forced to read books and you read all these like quote unquote classic books that no one actually enjoys or no one actually finds fun in reading them. And then my management professor, he recommended us to read this book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And up until that point, I've never read like a self-improvement, self-help book. It was only, you know, textbooks, poetry, and some, you know, classic fiction books. And so I was really blown away by there's this book that could teach us social skills, which is something I really want to work on. You know, I grew up very shy and introverted. And also this book is like a hundred years old. And not only were we reading that book in class, uh, we would actually practice like each chapter. So like uh, we would get assigned like, 
you know, two to three chapters every week. And then not only would we have to kind of discuss what we learned, but we'd actually practice. So we'd, you know, work on being uh, interested instead of uh, interesting, uh, you know, making eye contact, eye contact with other people. And just discovering that there's this whole genre of self-improvement books really kind of blew my mind because if you wanted to learn social skills from book, like here's your answer. And it's like, what else can I learn from books? And the answer was like anything. So like I read books about dating relationships to improve my dating life. I read books about, you know, investing in financial independence to improve my, um, like how much money I made. And just for any area in life that I want to improve on, there was a book uh, that I could just read and basically absorb the knowledge and kind of like apply it just to basically like update my like character status in life. And so since that point, like I've just been reading books uh, and haven't stopped since. What do you do for a day to day? Is Alex and books your full-time gig? Do you have a full-time job? What does that look like? Yeah, I'm happy to share that recently Alex and books has become my full-time job. So I work with a lot of uh, authors. I work with publishers and also work with uh, brands to help promote uh, their products. And so really fortunate that it's a full-time job now. What were you doing before you did this full-time? So I worked at podcast notes. So we would take notes on like the, a lot of nonfiction or uh, self-improvement podcasts or everything from Tim Ferriss, you know, Joe Rogan, uh, my first million. So kind of similar area where, you know, just I'm the type of person who enjoys like constantly learning and uh podcast notes was a great place to, uh, to do that and really fortunate to work there. One of the places I want to start our conversation about reading is by actually talking about quitting reading, which is kind of a funny place to start. But this idea is near and dear to my heart because I was always someone who needed to finish a book once I started it. I think it was my OCD that forced me to read every single word on every single page of every single book that I started. And I thought there might be some golden nugget hiding on one of those pages that I might have missed if I didn't do that. Then recently, I read The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. And in that book, Naval advocated for quitting books, which I had heard before. But finally, just this time, it spoke to me. And I've been doing that lately. Talk to us a bit about why you think people should quit more books and when the right time is to drop a book you're reading. Yeah, for sure. And this is like a bad habit a lot of people picked up from school where it's like you're assigned the book to read and you have to force yourself to read it because you know there's going to be an exam or like a pop quiz on it. And if you don't read it, you might fail that class. And people kind of carry this bad habit with them over, even though it's been like, you know, five or 10 years since they got out of high school or college. So you have to understand like in the real world, there's no one forcing you to read any books. Like just because you started a book doesn't mean you have to like continue reading it if it's not like a great fit for you. And I find it really funny that, you know, people watch like a Netflix show or a TV show and they're not feeling it like, you know, 10, 20 minutes in, they'll just like drop it and watch something else. But for some reason with books, they're like, oh, I started this book. So like I have to finish it. But the thing is like when you buy a book, it's like you're buying the opportunity to read it. And if it's not for you, it's not like a contract. Like there's no one forcing you. You don't have to continue reading it. And the truth is that there's millions of like wonderful books out there. Like just every year alone, there's like 2 million books published. So chances are there's like way better books out there that you can be reading and kind of it'd be a lot better for you to spend your time reading books you actually enjoy instead of forcing yourself to read a book you're not. And so two simple tips or strategies you could use to determine to like quit a book. One I call like just the 10% rule. So if, if a book is 250 pages, just read the first 25 pages. And think of it like uh, when you go to Costco, it's like you want to sample something before you buy the whole thing. It's similar with books. You want to like sample the book before you kind of commit to it. And, you know, reading 10% of it would give you 
uh, like a decent amount of um, taste and you can kind of make a decision if you want to continue reading it or not. And another rule I have is uh, the three strikes rule, which is one I personally follow. So you want to read the introduction, uh, the first chapter. And if you're still not in love with the book by then, uh, look at the table of contents and see if there's a, a chapter later on in the book that you might find interesting where you might think there might be some golden nuggets. And if you read that chapter and still nothing like really strikes you and you're not really like in love with the book, just like, you know, put it down, quit it. Just like in baseball, three strikes and you're out. Same thing with a book, like three chapters. If there's no gold nuggets in there, you know, just put it down and pick up something new because there's so many other uh, wonderful books out there waiting for you. I've heard some people say that all the quality of books is right at the beginning and then at the end, like towards the last couple of pages. So do you think it's worthwhile maybe if somebody wants to just read the beginning and the end and kind of skip all the fluff in the middle? For sure. So authors, if you think about when they write a book, they spent most of the time in the beginning of it. They were, they kind of, the very first sentence, they might rewrite like a hundred or a thousand times and they kind of front load all the value in the book in the very beginning. And you notice this with a lot of nonfiction books towards the end, like last two chapters of a book, the kind of the author, they already share the main point and now they're kind of running out of ideas and they kind of just like, putting in more examples and kind of more of the fluff part of the book. So if you're not finding the value in the beginning of the book where the author spent most of their time working on, the chances of you finding like a gold nugget later on in the book is like close to zero. Yeah. From my experience, they usually teach the main couple concepts and then they just provide example after example after example to kind of back that up throughout the rest of the book. If you feel like you got the main point of the book and like you don't need another example or like another dozen examples, then it's all okay to like either skip it or just kind of put the book down because you already got the main lesson from it. So that's another option too. One of the most common excuses people have for not reading more is that they don't have enough time, which I completely get because I often find myself not having enough time too. How can people find more time to read books? A lot of people think of it as like finding time. I think of more like replacing time because we only, all of us only have 24 hours in a day. So it's not like any of us have kind of more time than other people. So what you really want to do is kind of identify where you're spending that time and figure out what activities you can either replace with reading or maybe add reading to. So like a simple one to add reading to is like if you, you know, work out, go to the gym or you go for a jog, just put, you know, put on your headphones and listen to the audiobook during that time and like multitask. You can also listen to the audiobook like while you're driving, you know, if you're commuting to work or if you take like a train or a bus or something, you could read like an ebook and that way you're kind of multitasking and like finding ways you can add reading to your schedule. And then the other way you could do is you could kind of just like, just like how, when you have a meeting, you know, like, Hey, I have to be at this, at this time, at this date, I have a meeting with this person. And that's the only thing I'm going to be doing for 30 minutes. You can kind of schedule like a reading time with yourself, which I call like a book o'clock. So for me, it was always like 11 PM. So 11 PM, put my phone on airplane mode, turn off the Wi-Fi, And that's all I'm doing at 11 PM for like half an hour, an hour, which is just like reading books. And another great tip, um, I call have like a snack and a meal book. So just like how you vary your appetite, like sometimes you just want something small to eat. Other times you want like, you know, steak, potatoes, and like broccoli. You want like a full meal. You should kind of think of your reading diet the same way. You want to have like a small book. It could be like a quote book or just like a very light read that you can kind of pick up even if you're tired. And then you want like a meal book, like something more full of substance. It could be like a philosophy book or a very in-depth uh, nonfiction, like psychology book. This would be something that you would read maybe on the weekend when you have a lot more energy and you really want to dive into a book. Uh, so it really helps to like vary uh, your reading options and adjust like what you're reading based on like how much energy you have. Do you think listening to audiobooks are as good as reading actual books, whether it be ebook or physical books? 
well, all forms of reading I consider reading, but each uh, book medium has their pros and cons. So like audiobooks are great because you can like multitask, you can listen to them while, you know, running or working out, which you can't do with the physical book. But with the physical book, it is a lot easier to, you know, take notes, highlight it, write it in it. So I think it just depends on kind of your lifestyle and what you prefer doing. What I've seen some people talk about is when you read a physical book, it's not only what you're learning, but it's also the act of actually reading, like reading as a skill and comprehension of things you've read is a little bit different than just listening to an audio form and comprehending it that way. So I've always wondered, you know, when, whether you listen to an audio book or a physical book and read it, you're going to get the same content. It's just, I think there's a different skill in terms of listening and reading. Oh yeah, for sure. So there's like, I think Nepal had a great quote where he said like, audiobooks are kind of like drinking your veggies while like physical books are like eating your veggies. Uh, so you can think of it that way. So the, the, the form of deliverance is different. Uh, but as long as you're kind of absorbing that content and still like at the end of the day, you're learning and, you know, getting the information you're looking for, I, I think, you know, either form of consumption is good. Other than just listening to audiobooks, maybe on one and a half or two X speed, how else can we read any book in just one week? Yeah. So I posted like a, a TikTok video that I went like viral recently. So it's a pretty simple method. You just grab your book, you turn to like the last page. So let's say a book has uh, 210 pages, like your typical nonfiction book. And you just get a couple post it notes, seven to be exact. And you just write down every day in the week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then you just divide the total amount of pages by seven and you would get uh, 30 pages. So you would need, and then you put like a post-it note on every 30 pages in the book. And that way, you know exactly how many pages to read each day to finish the book in one week. So this works for books of like all different mediums. Of course, if a book is like 700 pages and you have to read hundred pages each day, it might be a little bit harder, but it's, it's a very like simple tactic. Anyone could read, uh, anyone could use, especially for nonfiction books, which tend to be shorter. And it's also a great way to kind of mark your progress. So, you know, like when it comes to like Wednesday or Thursday, you should be about halfway done with the book. And it's, uh, it's just a pretty cool way just to like have a visual marker of how much you should be reading and how much progress you're making. And if you're doing the strategy that we talked about a little bit earlier, where you may not read every word in the book, or you might skip around a little bit, or you might skip some of the middle, the kind of fluff, then, I mean, that could help you go through that book much quicker and get through most books in a week. Yeah, for sure. So people always talk about like speed reading and how, how do you speed read? The truth is like, if you read a lot of books, you'll end up kind of speed reading because you'll have read this information in like other books. So like a common thing is like the marshmallow test that like almost every psychology book talks about. So if you see that marshmallow test uh, chapter in a book, you know, oh, I could skip this chapter because I already learned about it before. And it's like the more you read, uh, the more easier it will be to read other books on that same subject because you already have like background information, background knowledge about it. I want to talk a bit about speed reading because it's something that's interested me for a while because to be completely honest, I am a very slow reader. And if I try to read too fast, I have horrible comprehension and I love to read. I read a lot, but I just, I'm a very slow reader. And so the idea of speed reading has really interested me. I even have a couple books on my Kindle about it and I haven't read them yet. And I don't really know a ton about speed reading. I just know that it's probably some sort of strategy that helps you do it faster. And that's always interested me because I'm so slow. So if you could tell me exactly what is speed reading and then talk to us a bit about some of the strategies and how people use it to get through more books. So I think too many people look at speed reading as like, like the one ultimate hack. Like if I just learn how to speed read, like that's my solution for everything for reading more books. 
but you have to realize it's like anything in life, there are trade-offs. So just like imagine when you watch a movie, you don't watch it at 2x speed or, you know, like you can do that and you get through the movie faster, but you also miss a lot of the smaller details in it, like the Easter eggs. You kind of, it wouldn't be as enjoyable watching it at like double the speed. And it's the same thing for books. Like maybe if you need to, you know, study for an exam and just, you know, find certain information quickly, that's might be a good opportunity to speed read. But if you're trying to do it for enjoyment, I wouldn't recommend it. And also, like you said, it's harder to comprehend, you know, a book, if you're trying to just get through it as fast as possible, it's also harder to enjoy. And the other thing is like when you're reading and it's a really great book, it's pretty much impossible to speed read because, well, you can speed read, but you can't like speed understand or speed think. Like think about the last time you read a really great book and you came across like a quote or sentence. When you read that like quote or sentence, it really makes you stop, think, put the book down and just like stare into the distance because you have to like take a few seconds to like comprehend what you just read and kind of just absorb it. So it is possible to speed read. You just basically take your finger and uh, your eyes follow like the motion of your finger faster than like your eyes would fall without it. Like, like we mentioned, it's not as enjoyable. And when you come across like a passage that's really important and valuable, you're going to have to stop, think, comprehend it. And you also, you want to be taking notes while reading. So I think too many people see it as like, just like a, like kind of like a get rich, a quick scheme. Like if I just do this one thing, like overnight, that, that will transform my life, which isn't true. Like really the best way to speed read is read a lot of books and you kind of naturally, just like any other habit, improve on it and become a faster reader. And also the more books you read, the background information and already like knowledge you'll have. So that way, if you see, you know, repetitive information, you can just kind of skip, skip through it or just skim through it because you already know what that book will teach you. There's tons of times when I'm reading books that like I'll read something and I, like I said, I read slow, so I'll read it and then I'll get a couple sentences and I'm like, wait a second, that was like so good. And I have to go back and I reread it and I'm like, oh, that was so good. And I'm just like, if I tried to speed read through this, I was going slow and I barely like caught it. So if I was speed reading, I probably would not catch this at all. And sometimes they're the really important, most memorable things I take from a book. You could think of speed reading as kind of like rollerblading through a museum. Like, yes, you'll get through it faster, but you won't enjoy the art. You won't really kind of remember what you saw. You kind of just like, you know, just like cramming information into your head and it's just going to kind of go in one ear and out the other. So yeah, just like anything in life, it has its pros and cons. Do you think of listening to audiobooks on like 1.5 speed or 2 speed or 2x speed or even podcasts at that speed? Do you think that is kind of similar to speed reading? And again, similar to the question previously, this is kind of like near and dear to my heart because I was the person who would brag about how many books that I would read. And I'd read 50 or 60 in a year. And that was mostly on Audible because I had a one hour commute one each way to work. So about two hours a day in the car. So I'd listen to it on 2x speed. And what I realized was that I was not comprehending. I wasn't remembering. And most importantly, I wasn't taking any action on anything that I was reading. So I forced myself to stop doing that. And I actually made a New Year's resolution a few years ago that I wasn't allowed to read any new books. I could only go back and reread books that I had already read. Tell us, is speed reading kind of like 2x speed on audiobooks? And then why aren't people who read 60 books a year as smart as they may think? And why is this a bad strategy? <laughs> well, let's answer your first question. There are some people that are just naturally comfortable with you know, listening a little bit faster. Like I'll listen to like 1.25 or 1.5, but there is a point of like the mission returns where it does get too quick and you're just going too fast. Like just some people walk faster than other people. Like some people are able to listen to a book uh, faster than other people. 
But yeah, if it gets to the point where it's kind of like uncomfortable or it's just not enjoyable to like, you know, listen to a book, like you should probably like stop and like tone it down. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned that there isn't like a prize for reading as many books as possible. Like, like I, I shared a tweet once that like I, I read three books in one week and like no one congratulated me or anything. And well, the truth is like no one cares like how many books you read because like the people that do like usually don't read books because the people that do read a lot of books know that the answer isn't reading as much, as many books as possible. The answer is like applying as many books as possible. And if you notice something like the people that read like 60 plus books a year, like you, myself, usually reading is part of the job. They're either like a writer or a researcher, an author, a podcaster, an editor or something else where, or like a book influencer where your job is literally to read, you know, books all day and, and like, you know, do something with them. So people really shouldn't be impressed by, you know, someone that reads 60 or hundred books a year. And I know people personally that have read, you know, a thousand plus books and they're not like super successful in life. They just, you know, spend all their free time, you know, reading books. And so you want to think of, yeah, the amount of books someone read more as like a vanity, vanity metric where people kind of say it to impress other people. And instead of like counting how many books you read this year, a better metric would be like how many books like change your life or like how many books can you look back on and say like, oh yeah, I read this book and I made this change to my life. And now it's like so much better. And so instead of like reading to impress other people, you want to read to like improve your situation in life. And that's why it's not the amount of books you get through is important is how many books like get through you and have an impact on your life. And that's what counts. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with, and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? a tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. 
Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. Reading books is this interesting thing where it is such a vanity metric, but it's also one of these things where just by doing it, like you do learn some knowledge, but you don't really gain, like knowledge is important, but it's only one piece of the equation. Like action is really so much more important. And so just by reading a book, if you don't do anything else other than just read the book, you're not really going to be any further along. I think there's a quote about this, but there's, you know, if you don't do anything from it, then there's, you're no better off than somebody that didn't read that book really. And there are some things in life that you could just kind of go through and you'll get the benefit of like working out, right? If you go to work out and as long as you do the workout, you're going to get the benefits, even if you don't do anything after that you'll still get the benefits. But if you just go through a book really fast, you're not going to get any of the benefits if you don't actually take mm. action on it. So what are some of the action things that people can do after reading books? Should they maybe set a goal? Like I need to act on at least one thing I read in this book before I can start my next book, or I need to have, you know, for me, I, I create a summary page after every book that I read now and jot down all my favorite personal notes that I have from it. But what are some other things that people can do in reading books? What I like to do at the end of each book, like after I finish it, kind of write down like the main takeaways. So like, what are the most important lessons I learned from it? But then also think about how can I like apply these lessons to like improve my life? So like you said, even if you just like apply one thing from a book and like make improvement in your life, uh, like the book, uh, Tiny Habits really got me to start like flossing more. Like the book, you know, Discipline Equals Freedom really got me like working out more. Uh, the book uh, Can't Hurt Me got me like running and jogging more. And so like, yeah, after you read a book, it's, it's like you mentioned, like, it doesn't matter how many books you read about, you know, weightlifting. If you never go work out, it's like, you're not going to see any improvements or changes in your body. Like it's great to have information, but you don't want to spend too much time reading and not enough time applying. Like you want to read a book and then it's like, okay, you know, this person suggests this, this, and this, let me try it out. Let me see what works and let me see what sticks. So it is, you should like, after you finish the book, yeah, write down like two to three things of how, you know, you could apply the lessons you learn. And then actually go out and do it, make those changes in your life. And that's really the most difficult part of reading because people say, you know, sitting down and opening a book, that's a hard part. But like, if it's really a great book, you're going to read it, you know, pretty easily. And the hard part is actually like making changes in your life, you know, changing your daily habits, trying something new, you know, doing something you're scared of doing. That's where like the real work and like uh, the hard part of reading books is it's not the book itself. It's after you finish book, the book that that's when the hard work starts. I've never really thought of it this way, but I wonder if that's why some people don't read is because they know like readings, maybe not that hard to them and maybe they even enjoy it, but they know if they read it, then they're going to feel inclined to take action and they're going to be inclined to change something in their lives. And that's hard. And maybe they don't want to do that hard work. And maybe that's why they don't read. Yeah, for sure. I think like including myself, like once you learn something new and you look back on your life and be like, wow, I can't believe I was making that same mistake over and over again. And it's like, you, it, it, like, it kind of hurts to think like how many other mistakes were you making in life? And this is what Jordan Peterson talks about 12 rules for life that most people are like dead wood and you have to burn off that dead wood to become like a new person. You have to, you know, break off your bad habits. You have to create new ones. You have to look back on your past and like realize like, Oh, I made a lot of mistakes and like there's a lot of room for improvement here. Like, and that also like hurts your ego. And you know, Ryan Holiday talks about this and ego is enemy. Like your biggest enemy is actually yourself and your ego. So yeah, reading shows us like how many mistakes we're making in life, how much room there is for improvement and like how much more potential we have 
which is also kind of scary to think about because then you start thinking, you know, how much time have I wasted? Like, and this was something I, I consider, this is one of the reasons I read so much because like, I wish I started reading earlier in life because I can't imagine how much better my life would be if I started reading and applying books earlier. And it is a scary thought. And I think, you know, if I have this thought, I'm sure a lot of people have it too. And if you don't do what you just learned, then you might feel worse about like having not taken that action. You know, you, you think about how much time you've wasted, but then on the other side, something comes up and you don't actually do what you just read. And then you start to feel bad that you're not, you know, you know that you should be doing it and you're not doing it. So then you kind of feel bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing of like ignorance and bliss. And you don't know what, what, what the better decision is. But if you just read a book about, you know, uh, the better habit of, you know, exercising in the morning and drinking more water and then you don't do it. It hurts like twice as much. So yeah, there is that. But uh, trust me, when you start, when you read a book and you actually apply it and then you have those improvements in your life, then you're going to be super grateful to have read that book. And then you're going to want to re- recommend it to every person you know. Everyone has probably heard of that quote, don't judge a book by its cover, but invariably people still do. And in today's world, at least for me, a more accurate quote, a more accurate quote is probably don't judge a book by its Amazon reviews. That's almost exclusively how I pick my books. If I see a lot of good reviews on Amazon, I'll read it. And if there are a lot of bad reviews or no reviews at all, I don't even usually give it a chance. I've been working on this lately, but that's how I've been for years. How do we go about finding and filtering amazing books? So, uh, yeah, you have a good strategy there. And just to like talk a little bit more about the Amazon reviews, you really want to ignore the five star reviews because those are from like super fans or like friends and family members and people who just like love the author and will give the book five stars just because, you know, they're a fan of the writer. And then you want to also ignore the one star reviews because that's people like, oh, my book came in damaged or I received the wrong book or the different edition or something like that. So on both sides of the spectrum, you want to ignore like the five star and then one star. What you really want to look at is mostly, you know, the two, three and four star ones. And the ones that actually, the people that take the time to like write like a paragraph or two of what they actually thought about the book. That's when you get like the honest reviews where people share not only the pros, but the cons, you know, who this book is for. That's a great way to kind of like filter what you're reading. And then also I have something called uh, like a strategy called the two C's. So you want to look for books that either cure a problem you're having or satisfy your curiosity about a topic because most books fall into either uh, one of those two categories. So if you're having like a problem or like you want to build better habits or break bad ones, book like Atomic Habits or Tiny Habits is great for you. If you want to satisfy your curiosity about something, you know, think of a topic you're really interested in. It could be like Elon Musk or yeah, like his life, then you would read like uh, Elon Musk by Ashley Vance. And so you really want to think to yourself, what books could cure a problem I'm having or what books could satisfy my curiosity about, about a topic? And then you want to, once you kind of know what you're looking for, then you can start looking into specific books. And just to go even deeper into that, when it comes to like uh, books that kind of solve a problem you're facing, a great thing to think about is uh, read it when you need it. So the more relevant a book is to your current situation, the more engaged you'll be and the more applicable it'll be. And like the sooner you could kind of make changes in your life. So when I first started my reading journey, I made a lot of mistakes. And one of them was reading a lot of management books, even though I was an intern because I, I thought one day I want to be like a CMO, CMO or CEO and like run a big company, manage a lot of people. So I thought to myself, let me read a lot of management books to kind of prepare for that future role, which was like very ambitious of me. And it was great that I was reading, but like I was an intern, like I couldn't apply any of the management books. Like I, I had zero people to manage. 
And so all that I was reading, which was great, I, like I, my time would have been better spent reading more marketing books and learning how to learn more about marketing and maybe eventually getting uh, promoted to like a marketing position or like a marketing manager within a few years. Uh, so like, yeah, just when it comes to books, uh, remember, read it when you need it. And when you read something that's yeah, more relevant to your situation, you'll be more engaged in it. And then the sooner you can apply it, the better, the, the sooner you can make changes and improvements in your life. It sounds like you go even deeper on reviews on Amazon than I do, because I literally just looked at the number of Amazon reviews and that was it. If it had 50 reviews, I probably wouldn't even consider it. But if it had 5,000, then I'd be like, even if it, I mean, usually books with that many ratings are going to be like 4.5 stars or something. Usually you don't find books are super lowly rated with that many reviews. So typically for me, it was more just the number of reviews than anything. Have you found there to be like a review count where you know, more than 50 reviews, people should consider the book or less than, you know, 50, they shouldn't consider it, something like that. Yes. Yeah, so in terms of just like uh, proof of like quality reviews, like once you get like some authors, like there are services where you can buy like Amazon reviews, this and that. But if a book has over a thousand reviews, I say that's a pretty good sign that, you know, it has a good distribution of like what the book actually is, like the quality of the book. But also people should remember that no one book is for like every person. Like there are books that have 50,000 or, you know, 15,000 reviews or uh, like five star reviews. But just because it has that many reviews doesn't mean it's a good match for you. It could mean, you know, it's a great book, uh, you know, it's well written, but it, it might just not be applicable to your situation. Like there's books about, you know, parenting or, uh, you know, real estate that have like thousands of reviews and like great books. But because I'm not like a parent or like a real estate investor, they're just not applicable to my situation. So like I shouldn't read them even though there are great books. So it's not just, you know, the quality of the writing or like how credible the author is, is like, is this book relevant to me? If so, I should read it. If not, you know, it's, it's a great book for someone else, but it's just not for me. That's such a great point. And there's a book for everybody that's listening. We are on a real estate show. So there's pretty much everybody listening has heard of this book and you probably have as well, Alex, it's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it's like the Bible of real estate investing, essentially. <laughs> like everybody that's in real estate has read this book. And I don't know how many Amazon reviews it has or what it's rated, but my guess would be it's probably very, very high. And for me, it's just not, I don't really love it. Like it just didn't really speak to me. And I, and it's, it's not that it's a bad book. It's just not really one of my favorite books. And everybody, like a lot of people that go on real estate podcasts and are asked, what's their favorite book? A lot of times they say rich dad, poor dad. And just for me, it just didn't really, I don't know. It just didn't really click for me, I guess. And so I think that's great. A great thing that you brought up. It makes so much sense. Yeah, and that's like totally fine. Just like how they're, you know, Academy Award winning, Oscar winning movies that like people just didn't enjoy. And I can name like a bunch of like classic movies that like I just personally didn't enjoy. And same thing with books. Like there will be like these amazing, fantastic, you know, 15,000 five star books that you just might not enjoy. And that's like totally fine. That doesn't mean it's a bad book. It just means like maybe you already had that knowledge before from life experiences or from other books. And just because, yeah. That's why it's so hard to recommend like life-changing books because the books that changed my life might not exactly change your life or the books that changed your life may not change mine. Uh, so just important to realize that everyone is different and not to don't, you know, don't judge, uh, you know, just because one person didn't like a book doesn't mean, you know, you won't like it. Like that book might end up changing your life. So like give every book a chance or at least go into it with an open mind. It's funny that you mentioned the movies because maybe, maybe I'm odd here, but 
a lot of times like the award-winning movies some of them are good and i like but most of the time i don't actually like those movies at all and then some of my favorite movies i go on like rotten tomatoes and they're like horribly rated movies and they would never get you know nominated for these big prestigious awards so it's just kind of you never know really i guess and i've actually had some people that are very successful that are close to me that i get to speak with frequently and they've been recommending to me books on amazon that have like 10, 20, 30, 40 reviews. And I, I tell them, I'm like, yeah, I'll read it because it came recommended from you. But if it hadn't, I would have never considered this book simply just because it doesn't have that many reviews. Yeah. yeah that's the other thing. There's, there's something like 33 million books published out there. So there have to be like hundreds or if not thousands of like books that are like hidden gems that are wonderful that just may not have gotten like the marketing they deserve. Maybe it's like a new author and like they wrote a great book, but it takes a long time for word of mouth to get around. Uh, but great thing you mentioned, like if someone you admire or look up to recommends you a book, chances are you should read it because you probably have like a similar personality or, or like similar experiences. And that, that's like another great tip to find like books you want to enjoy reading. Like if there's an author you love, you want to read other books by them because, because most authors stick to their niche. Uh, you think of Ryan Holiday. If you love Ego's Enemy, You'll love his other books like Stillness is a Key or The Daily Stoic because all of them relate to Stoicism. And also, if you're a fan of Ryan Holiday, you also want to see what books changed his life. And then if you, uh, if he, you know, he shares his life-changing books on his website and he mentions like Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, other books by Seneca and the other Stoics. And again, it's a similar niche. You know, it's all Stoicism all the way through. So yeah, if there's an author you love, see what books changed their life and chances are you'll enjoy them as well. Since I have always just looked for the most highly rated or the most number of reviews on Amazon, I had heard somebody, I forget where I heard it, it might have been Reddit on Twitter or on a podcast or something, but somebody said that if you're only reading the most popular, it might have even been Naval actually, if you're only reading the most popular books that have the most reviews, then you're thinking the same as everybody else that has also read those books. And so you're not going to be able to differentiate yourself. And you're not going to think differently if you're continuing to read the same thing as everybody else. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, you know, that really opened my mind to, I need to read some of these books that might not have as many reviews because maybe mm -hmm. not as many people have read it. Maybe there's something in there that can differentiate me. That's definitely something I think about a lot because on one hand, the average person only reads like four books a year or something like that. So like, even if you, there's so many like best-selling books out there that I still even have personally haven't read that I want to read that. Yeah. The fact that most people don't read that many books, it's hard to say like, just because there's a best-selling book, like everyone knows about it. Like if you think about like Mark Manson's book, like the subtle art, that book did phenomenally well, but it only sold 16 million copies, but 16 million copies in the book world is like, you know, the top 0.1%. But if you think about it, 16 million copies, there's 18 billion people in the world. That's, that's a tiny fraction of people that have actually read that book and know what it's about. It is on one hand. Yeah. If you read only like best selling books, you'll, you'll be thinking a similar way as other people, but also like there's a reason these books are bestsellers is because they're packed with information and you know, it's going to be like a good investment on your time. And then if you do want to go like, you know, the other way and like, you know, be different, then just follow your personal curiosity, like see where it leads. Like I'm fascinated with learning how to develop the habit of reading. And I read a lot of books about books. That's my, my go-to thing. If you're into real estate, you know, get really specific in your niche. Maybe you're really into like, suburban houses and just fixing them up in like, uh, you know, certain states or certain parts of the country, just follow your own curiosity, see where it leads you. And then you'll just be a very unique person and have a unique uh, wealth of, of all of the information. 
And I mean, really, the reality is those 16 million people that have purchased the book, how many of them have actually read it and understand and comprehend and then act on it? Really? I mean, I have no idea. If I said any number, I'd be completely yeah. making it up, but it's significantly mm-hmm. smaller than 16 million. Yeah. So that's an, also nothing to think about. Like, barely any book sells over a million copies. And if it does, you know, a million people out of 8 billion, that's like almost, you could round it down to zero, basically. So even the best selling books, like 99.99% of people have read. So just reading that best-selling book will put you way ahead of everyone out there. While we're on this topic, what are some of the most underrated books that you've read or heard about that not many people are aware of? What are some of the hidden gems that somebody who studies books for a living kind of knows about that maybe people listening don't? So there's a great book, uh, Calendar Wisdom by Leo Tolstoy. Uh, so a lot of people know Tolstoy for his you know, fiction books like War and Peace. Uh, Anna Karenia, uh, but this is actually like his nonfiction book. And it's like a, it's very similar to the daily stoic where it's like each day there's certain like quotes from like philosophers, from writers, quotes from Leo himself. And it's just like a great book that you can read one page at a time and just very philosophical, really makes you think about life. And uh, it's kind of one of those books that no one knows about, even though Tolstoy said it was like his greatest contribution to humankind because he spent uh, I think it was like something like 14 years or, or just collecting quotes and like doing research and putting it together. So that was an incredible book. Um, a more recent book that I really enjoyed uh, is called Die With Zero by Bill Perkins. So a lot of people talk about, you know, become financially independent and like, you know, saving up money. He talks about the opposite, which is like spending money. Like how do you best spend your money to optimize for happiness? So he talks about what are practical ways to actually buy happiness. So one would be like, hiring services like you know a cleaning where it takes away like tasks you don't enjoy doing another is like buying experiences because experiences make you happier and more in the long term than like like a product like a handbag or something like that and he just talks about like how to optimize your wealth in such a way that you look back on your life and be like wow i'm so happy i'm not you know 85 years old with like 10 million dollars instead like i actually spent that money in my youth had a whole bunch of great experiences. I gave that money to people that needed it. And, you know, it's just how do you optimize your money for maximum happiness? And if that sounds interesting to you, I highly highly recommend that book. That's a book that I've been, I've heard about quite a few times from people, but it hasn't, it doesn't have a lot of reviews on Amazon. And that's not why I haven't read it. It's just, I haven't gotten to it, but I do really want to read that book because it's, I've heard a lot of really good things about it. And I know, Alex, you're not necessarily in the finance space, but people listening, and you might find this interesting as well, but I heard the other day this guy talk about this concept of, you know, when you pass away, you typically leave money in your will to your friends and family that, you know, people you care about. And they can't do anything with that until you're gone. And he talked about, and maybe it comes from this book, I'm not sure, but he talked about this concept of how like, can I just give you some money now while I'm still alive? Like, instead of waiting till I die, can I just give you some money now? And that was like, I didn't read that. It was on a podcast, but it was like almost that same idea that I mentioned before where I had to go back and reread the quote. I rewinded this podcast. I went and re-listened to it because I was just like, that's such, like, that's such a powerful thing to me, at least is like, why not give back to the people that you're going to give to anyway while you're alive and experience the joy and happiness that you're going to get from that? Yeah, for sure. And yeah, uh, so Bill mentions it in, in his book, like, there's no point in waiting until like, you know, let's say you're 60 or 70 years old and your parents pass away at like 90 or something. And that's when they give you the money. It's like, by the time you're 60, you're already basically almost retired. Like you have a house, you're already paid for the kids college and done all of that. Like it'd be way better. Like for instance, I'm in my mid twenties. Like if my parents gave me money now so I could buy a house, you know, 
and, you know, do more traveling before I have kids or maybe save up money for like a wedding, this and that, then, you know, giving the funds when I'm like, you know, close to retirement age. So yeah, he really talks about like how to optimize uh, your money and all these kind of traditional ways people will spend their money or give money to others that aren't as efficient. So I'll put a link to those two books that you mentioned in the show notes for anybody that's interested in checking it out. And one of the things you mentioned is that there's a book that you read kind of page by page. And that made me think of The Daily Stoic. And I wonder from somebody who studies books, is that, is that a type of book? And it's pretty popular. So I think a lot of people listening are, are familiar with it. And I've always wondered, like, how do you read this? Do you read it one page at a time? Do you read a couple pages at a time? I know they have dates on them. Do you read them on that date? Like, mm-hmm. how do you kind of go about that? Yes. So I think a book like the deal is so good. It's great because yeah, like you said, it's one page a day. So even if you're, you have a super busy life, it's hard to make an excuse to say, Oh, I didn't have time to read one page today. Like, like how busy can you be? Like even Elon Musk finds time to like read books throughout the year. Uh, if he could do it, like, so can you. So these like one page a book, one page a day books are like great to like start reading habit. And yeah, it's like you have t- like two options. Sometimes like the daily stoic, like I read a great page and it's like, Oh, I want to see what's going to happen on the next page. And it's like, you just kind of end up reading like a week or two. Then other times it's like, yeah, let me just pull it out, do my daily one page a day and then put it back and go back to it tomorrow. And especially a, a book like the daily stoic, very philosophical, very philosophical. And it makes you like stop, think and actually like reflect and maybe even like, like you mentioned, apply and make changes in your life. So that would be like the optimal way to do it. Like read one page, understand it and figure out, okay, based on this new information, how can I make like small change in my uh, life uh, today? Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found on the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. 
The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. When we talked earlier about finishing books, you mentioned that that was like a bad habit that people learn from school. What are some of the other bad reading habits that people need to unlearn from school? Although school did a great job of teaching us like how to read, it didn't do a great job of teaching us like how to love reading. Uh, so one we mentioned before is like how to actually find and filter for books you'll actually enjoy. You know, school didn't teach us that. Experimenting with different like book mediums. So in school, you don't really have the option of like, you know, an ebook or an audiobook. So you might actually, I know a lot of people that, you know, hated reading in school, but they love listening to audiobooks. And even if you like physical books, like I did myself, I always hated that school gave you like a mass market copy where it was like yellow, it was like tiny font, the pages were like ripped and like falling out. Like, like, like today, like I treat myself by buying like a brand new hardcover book. And I just love reading so much more because like the book doesn't smell. It's like, it has a nice cover. The page is all nice. And so just like experiment with different book mediums, see like what works with you. So another thing, like we mentioned earlier, so like be okay with quitting a book, you know, sample the book. There's no pop quiz. You don't have to force yourself to read. And then uh, they're also in school, you're not allowed to like write and highlight in books because the book's not yours and you're going to have to share with other students. And that's also a bad habit. Like you do want to be engaged with your book. If you see a great quote or an insight or some actionable advice, you want to highlight it. You want to mark it. You want to write in your book. Like what are the main lessons I learned from it? Like how can I apply these lessons? And yeah, school did a great job of teaching us yeah, how to read, but not like how to be lifelong readers. And that's also kind of what I've been working on teaching people. When we were talking about speed reading, you briefly mentioned taking notes on books. And that's one of the reasons why speed reading is tough. So I want to dive into taking notes when you're reading a bit. I know you recently posted on Twitter about your process for taking notes while reading a book. So walk us through that nine-step framework that you've created. So the first thing you want to do is when hopefully you're buying your books so that way you can write and highlight in it. So the first thing you want to do, like when you open up the first cover of the book, you want to write down your name and like date you're starting the book. You want to write your name because like you never know if you might forget your book somewhere and that way you could kind of say like, oh yeah, this is my book. And also you want to write down the date so that way in the future you look back on this book and be like, oh yeah, I can see how my life changed when I read this book. And also if you read a book multiple times, you kind of want to know when was the last time I read this book. And also you want to know like, hey, how long does this book take me to read? Uh, so that way you could also kind of measure your reading speed over like the months or the years. And so as you start reading the book, you kind of want to highlight and like mark up any things that are any like any quotes or lines or sentences that really make you like stop and think because that means it's like new information and you kind of want to remember it to go back to it later. So let's say there's a great quote on like page eight of a book. You want to go back to like the front cover of a book and kind of write down like, oh, page eight in like parentheses and then kind of add context to it. So why was this, you know, why did you highlight this? Uh, because you don't want to have a book just filled with highlights. But like no context because then you kind of forget why it was important. So let's just say like page eight, you know, great, great quote from Ben Franklin might use for a future article or would make for a great tweet or something just where you add context to it. So as you go out, go through the book, 
and you're like highlighting and like writing down notes, you'll end up uh, with, uh, on the front cover of the book with like a table of contents. But this, the thing is, it's like your own personal table of contents where it's like what information and insights that you found personally valuable. And so as you're going throughout the book, at the end of each you know, chapter or a couple of chapters, you also want to write down like, okay, you know, I spent like half an hour, an hour reading. What were like the main lessons I learned? Kind of just refresh your memory and not just like, like we mentioned throughout this podcast, you don't want to just be reading. You want to be like comprehending and understanding. So a great way to do that is like at the end of your reading session, just like write down, okay, I learned here are the top three takeaways I learned. And so as you go out through, through the book, you'll end up with like a huge table of contents of like important information you find valuable. You know, every few chapters, you'll have like key takeaways. So that way you're kind of documenting what you're learning. And then on the back cover of the book, once you finish it, you kind of want to write down like the most important lessons you learned from that book. And so that way you kind of filter down the information to be like, okay, so what are the top, you know, three to five most important lessons I took away from this book? And on the other back side of the book, you want to figure out how can I turn these key takeaways into like actionable advice. So if you learn like from atomic habits, if you learn that, you know, you want to change your environment to make good habits easier and bad habits harder. uh, One way to, you know, apply that if you want to drink more water is to like leave more water bottles around the house or like don't buy the soda or just put the soda in like the back of the fridge. And just like think about, okay, I have these key takeaways. How can I actually apply this advice to my life? So if you look at any of the books like I have on the left side, on the back left side of the book, it'll be like the key takeaways. And then on the back right side of the book, it'll be like ways that I'm working on applying the information. Then also, yeah, once you finish the book, you want to write your name and, uh, you know, the date you finished it. That way you could kind of see how long it took you to write the book. And then another thing you could do is kind of like write down what books this book reminded you of. So that way you're kind of connecting information. Like this book was similar, you know, Tommy Habits is similar to uh, Tiny Habits or The Power of Habit. That way you kind of create like a mental map of uh, just similar books. And um, if anyone ever asks you for a recommendation, it's like, hey, I love this book. Uh, do you have any other books you recommend for it? You could just kind of turn to that back page and say like, oh yeah, I recommend this book and this book. Uh, so that's just a simple way to like kind of uh, take notes while you're reading a book. I've always been a pretty big note taker while I read books for the most part, other than audiobooks. And it sounds like I need to get a little bit more structured. I like a lot of the things that you just talked through. I'm going to have to go back and, or not go back, but when I read future books, I'm going to have to add that to my kind of process when I, when I do it. And you also mentioned at the beginning, you get to buy these books, of course, instead of renting them like from a library or something like that in order to do this. And that made me think of a rule that I heard from Ramit Sethi. And he basically has this rule as part of what he calls his rich life, that if he ever thinks that he wants a book, he buys it. Like that's his one rule. If he ever mm-hmm. sees or a book that he's like, eh, do I want this? Do I like, can I afford it? Or, you know, whatever the case is, should I really buy this right now? He's like, I buy it. That's just part of his rule. Do you have any similar rules mm-hmm. to that? Yeah. So, you know, Naval Ravikant, Brian Holiday say the same thing. Like books are the best investment you can make. Because like for $10, it could potentially change your life. Uh, so I have a similar rule. Um, whenever there's a book like I find interesting, like, you know, I'll buy it. And then, you know, if it's not for me or just like, it might be a great book, but it's just not a match for me. I'll just do a giveaway for it. And then I'm also very fortunate to get a lot of books from publishers. Uh, so that's one perk of being like a big book influencer. Like you get a lot of free books. But yeah, I think just like for the average person, like if, there's, if you think there's a chance this book, like you find it interesting and you think, you know, potentially you could learn a couple of things from it. Like definitely go and buy it. Like it's crazy to me that people think, 
you know, $15 for a cocktail is a great uh, deal. And they buy like, you know, three or four at a, on a Friday night, but like a $15 book, it's like they'll think twice about buying it. So uh, definitely, yeah, look at books as an investment, not a, as, a, as an expense. That's such a good analogy. And I, I don't drink specifically for that reason. I just, it's not something that fulfills me really. And I don't think it's worth the money in my, in my personal opinion. So I do think it's kind of crazy that people are willing to make you know, spend money on that kind of thing, but not invest in books. It's a great analogy. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking throughout this podcast about how good books are. And I think books are great. You think books are great, but I've had this kind of interesting thought lately that I want to run by you and just kind of hear your thoughts on it. And basically what I was thinking was there are audiobook narrators who, and editors, I guess, of books who read let's just take one category, but there's maybe a narrator that's read a thousand self-help books or business books combined throughout their career as part of their job. Yet they're still a narrator, right? They're making maybe 25 to $50 an hour. (laughs) They're not like some successful billionaire. They're not Elon Musk. And it's made me ponder like, are books actually going to be a resource that lead to success for people? And so I was just kind of going through this and I'm like, maybe it's because these people that are reading it as part of their job are just kind of like what we talked about earlier, just kind of speed reading it. They're not paying attention to what they're learning. They're not implementing it. What are your thoughts on this general idea? Yeah. So there's definitely like books increase your chance of becoming successful, but there is a point where it's not really the act of reading itself. It's the act of like understanding what book is saying. And then like we talked about uh, throughout the podcast, so like application, like I have this tweet that said uh, application over memorization. And that's like, you don't want to memorize books. Like people always ask me like, how do I remember more of what I read? It's like, would you rather memorize, you know, Atomic Habits or Rich Dad Poor Dad and just be able to recite it by heart? Or would you be able, or would you rather have like applied what that book said, like be able to understand what that book, you know, is teaching you and actually go out and make changes in your life. And, you know, for me personally, I love, I prefer application over memorization. And I think, yeah, some people do spend too much time reading or maybe just going through the motions. It's like, oh, I read one book yeah, it was cool. Let me just hop into the next book instead of like, Hey, okay, what are the main lessons I learned from this book? And then how can I actually apply them to improve my life? So yeah, like we mentioned, reading is only step one and it's actually the easy step. If you think about it, the hard step is actually applying it, making changes in your life. And that's what people really have to work on. So if you're reading, you know, hundred books or even, you know, 75 plus of books a year, and it's not part of your job, it's like, stop, like you're reading way too much. You got to stop reading as much because you're really just, uh, you can think of it as intellectual procrastination. And that's something I kind of dealt with earlier in my life, where it's like I was reading one book after another, after another, and I was just procrastinating, taking action through just reading more. And you really, yeah, you really want to stop reading so many books and start figuring out ways to like applying those lessons you're learning to make changes in your life. Another thing that just kind of popped in my head as we've been having this conversation that I had never even thought of is if you don't go from book to book, you run the risk of somebody asking you like, what are you reading and not having anything to say? And like you, for me, like maybe that could not feel great. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm not reading. And then you wonder like, what does that person think of you? Because you're not reading. And this is going to depend kind of on the circle you're in, your friends who you sur- surround yourself with. But I surround myself with pretty successful people. And a lot of times successful people are readers. And so if somebody that I look up to or is successful and I talk to them and they're like, Oh, what are you reading? And I was just like, Oh, I'm not reading anything then I might just kind of like feel bad. And so maybe that's partially subconsciously why I've just kind of gone from book to book. But now I'm thinking maybe instead of just saying what book I'm reading, I could just say, oh, I'm not reading anything, but I'm really 
diving into this book that I just finished reading and I'm really implementing it. And maybe that person would appreciate that even more than me just kind of saying what book I'm reading. Yeah, for sure. So you could always say like, oh, I recently finished this book and I'm working on like applying it or making changes to my life. Or you could even say like, oh, this book I recently read was so good. I'm actually rereading it. And I think that's a lot more impressive because then it's like how many people talk about the books that are so good it's worth rereading. Like if someone says they watched the movie 10 times, it's like, oh, I got to watch that movie. It's the same thing for books. Like, you know, I read Atomic Habits like three times. Like, that's why I always recommend this to people because I've gone through it like, you know, multiple times. And it's still like each time I go through it, it's like value, value, value. And yeah, so you could just say like, oh, I'm actually rereading this book. Uh, that's how good it is. And I think they'll find that equally, if not more impressive than, oh, yeah, start this new book. One of the biggest things we've talked about today is taking action on what we're reading, not just kind of skimming through and kind of going through as many books as we can. And so today people have access to podcasts, blogs, YouTube, and other mediums. And so when we talked about that, we were really talking about taking action and really just getting forms of education. What I just mentioned are all different mediums of education and things that people could take action on. How do you compare these to books? Are they different types of quality are they like how do you if somebody's going to take action on a youtube video why is that not as good maybe or maybe it is to taking action on a book they read well i think it all comes down to like all three like books youtube videos uh podcasts if you you know if they like nonfiction or self-improvement type uh work it comes down to education and as long as you're educating yourself the medium in which it comes through is like perfectly fine and like I listen to podcasts all the time. I love it. It's also a great way to find new books. Like instead of buying a new book and seeing if I like it, I'll listen to the author talk about it on a podcast. And it's like, oh yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like let me dive deeper into it through the book. And so that's one way you kind of filter your reading selection. Uh, but also, yeah, yeah, podcasts are great. YouTube videos are great. They're free, um, which does have like a little advantage over books. And yeah, as long as you're educating yourself and you're like applying that information, it's great. Uh, the one advantage books have is that they go through, uh, especially traditional books, they go through a series like multiple filters. Like anyone can make a YouTube channel, anyone can start a podcast, but with a book, you have to go through like editors, fact checkers, hopefully. And like the person that's investing all that time, usually like a year or two of time is invested to make that book. So the amount of value that's condensed in it is like enormous versus like a podcast where you just hit record and it's just two people talking or like a YouTube video where it might be just someone made in like half an hour or something. So you do kind of have that Lindy effect in books where the amount of time people spent working on it is compressed. So that means it's like the value in it is a lot more jam packed and you also know it's a lot more in depth. Uh, so each like, you know, each form of consumption has a pros and cons, but as, I think as long as you're educating yourself and applying it, I think it's uh, wonderful. That's a really good point that you make. That barrier of entry to a medium makes it so that the minimum quality because you can have some really, really good quality podcasts, but because the barrier of entry is lower, the bar- I would say that the barrier to entry being lower in different mediums makes the lower quality, the, the minimum quality that you can have in that medium lower. So like on a podcast, mm-hmm. you might have some super high quality podcasts that are better than some of the mm-hmm. books. But I think if you look on average, the lowest quality books are probably higher quality than the lowest podcasts or YouTube videos or things like that. So that's a a really interesting idea. I have a couple other kind of less broad questions that I want to ask you just as somebody who studies books. And these are kind of, again, vanity metrics that we talked about before. And it's not so much for 
saying like, oh, you've read a thousand books as, you know, being amazed by that. It's more just, I'm kind of curious and, and I'm sure people listening are, is like somebody who reads books for a living, how much, like, what do they do on a day-to-day basis? So how many books do you read? Like, how would you classify that? Do you read one a week? Do you read a couple of, like a week, a month? Like, how do you classify that? So, well, the, the short answer is like this year, uh, I've read like 73. So probably by the end of the year, maybe 75, 76 books. Uh, the, the long answer or disclaimer is like, well, it depends like on the book length because there are some like short nonfiction books like The Dip or The Tribe by Seth Godin, which are like, you know, a hundred pages or like the book Lying by Sam Harris, fantastic book. I think it's like 70 pages. So they're like super short books. There's also really long books like Tools of Titans or Tribe of Mentors by uh, Tim, Tim Ferriss that are like 700 pages. You know, Jordan Peterson's new book, I, I read and loved it. And it was like something like three, 400 pages. So all, that's another reason like Vanny metrics of how many books you read aren't the great measure because like maybe some person just reads like, you know, kids books, which are like 10, 15 pages. And you could say you read a hundred of those and like, oh, it's like, wow, that's so impressive. You read a hundred books until you tell them it's like a hundred kids books or something. So yeah, I focus on nonfiction books. So they could be anywhere from, you know, let's say the shortest one this year, probably like 50 or 70 pages, the longest one closer to like 450, 500 pages. So, but yeah, in general, usually read maybe one or two books a week. How many books do you own? Probably close to 400 or 500, but every like end of the year, I kind of go through my library, see like what books aren't applicable or what books just, you know, aren't for me anymore. And then I'll just do like a giveaway. So I've given away also probably close to 500 bucks or something like that. I know this is kind of a, a funny question, but for anybody listening that has ever moved with that many books or even a significant amount of books, 50 or a hundred books, they know that like moving with books can be a pain. So have you ever moved with books? And if you have, do you have any tips for moving with all those books? Uh, so fortunately I haven't moved with all the books, so I can't say, but I do worry about the day, maybe in like a year or two when I buy a house and move out, how, how much uh, packing and like uh, bubble wrap and everything I'm going to need to like protect them. I can tell you, I've moved, I have about 300 books and I've moved a couple of times and it is not, not fun. I always, <laughs> I always, uh, am not very excited to pack all the books. The other question <laughs> yeah. is as somebody like me, I own probably between 250 and 300 and I always wonder like, how should I organize my books? Like, how do you mm-hmm. organize your books? So I recommend organizing it very similar in a way, like, like you see in a bar. So like the top shelf, you want to have like the best stuff. And you kind of also want to organize it by like a genre. So I'll have like, um, if you look on my bookcase, it's like productivity, you know, psychology, writing, uh, you know, Navy SEALs, uh, memoirs or biographies, uh, self-improvement books, creativity books. So that way you kind of organize it by genre. So then, you know, it's like, Oh, if I, uh, maybe having or something that comes up in my relationship that I want to review or work on, it's like, let me go to the relationship slash dating genre. Or it's like, oh, if I want to build a new habit, or I've been feeling kind of lazy, let me go to the productivity or self-improvement genre. And that way, like you have your books organized and it's a lot easier to define like what you need versus organizing them alphabetically where you have to remember the title. Or like, I mean, if you want an aesthetically person uh, purposes, you could organize it by color, uh, but I don't recommend that unless like, you know, you're doing a photo shoot or something like that. Before we give a handoff to where people can find you, I like to wrap up the show by turning the tables and letting the guest ask me a question. So Alex, what question do you have for me? So I would want to know like what one or two books had the biggest impact on your life as a young adult and like how did those books change you? 
I think the my favorite book, probably the most impactful book that I've ever read is probably The Almanac of Naval. And I just read that. So I read it on audiobook uh, probably a month or two ago, and it was good. I really liked it, but with an audiobook, I was, you know, I was doing it while I was driving and it wasn't really fully paying attention. So I went back and I actually reread the text, the physical book, and I, I really, really liked it. I think it's probably my favorite book of all time. And it was just like a couple of weeks ago that I finished it. So it hasn't fully, I haven't implemented everything yet that I've read in there. So I wouldn't say it's had the most impact on me yet just because it's been so new. But I think just generally speaking, that is probably my, my favorite book. Yeah. Fantastic book. Uh, yeah. Naval on Twitter and his book is like just incredible. Yeah. I, I recommend that book to people as well. And one of the best pieces is, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, you can get the book for free. It's it, you can purchase it as well, but it is in audio. I believe audio physical, or the only one that's not free is physical. I think ebook is free. Mm-hmm. I think audio is free as well. So just go right on the website and, and get it for free. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Alex, where can everybody in the audience go to connect with you? I know everybody listening is interested in real estate. and We've talked a lot about books today, but if you take what you have learned in today's episode and apply it to real estate books that you're reading or business books or any type of book that can help your real estate business, you're going to be successful. One of those guys that you want to learn from is Alex on how to read. And so tell people, Alex, where, where everybody can go to find you. So you can search for Alex and Books on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Uh, you could also go to alexandbooks.com to just find everything going on. And then I also have a podcast called The Reader's Journey Podcast, where I interview authors who've written amazing books and kind of just do a deep dive into sharing uh, the most important lessons and like how to apply those lessons. So yeah, just search for Alex and Books and you'll find me on the web. I'll be sure to also put links to Alex's resources in the show notes below for anybody that's interested in checking them out. Alex, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me, Robert. Always enjoy talking about books and I really enjoy this conversation. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Real Estate Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.